that they may be one, even as we are one. It, it sounds repetitive when you read them together, doesn't it? And then 23, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. And again, to the end that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. That is Jesus asking the Father, praying on our behalf that we would be one as he and the Father are one. We, we yearn for that in the church, even especially up here. There's a lot of talk about the churches being unified, which troublingly suggests that there's not a lot of unity. If you're talking about it, it means it's not there. So uh, this, is, this is something it would be nice if we would all pray for, that there would be oneness among God's people. But not just up here, but across the United States, across the world. Because it is in that oneness that Jesus says that the world will then understand. And maybe the lack of effectiveness in our nation, at the least, is our lack of unity in the church. We often mimic our politics, which is severely divided down the aisle. We can often do the same thing. We are such mimickers, imitators of our world that we claim we're not of or from or rooted in or sourced out of. We, but, but yet we imitate our politics in the church. And it's, it's sickening and sad. And then the world as a whole yearns for oneness. We are all tired of war. We're all tired of divorce. This world is in desperate need of oneness. And that's what Jesus is praying for, that it would start in his own people. That the new creation of unity and harmony and peace and love, oneness with humans and God that that would begin to happen in the people themselves, that we would have the Zoe life and model the new creation in our own midst. And that's what he prayed for then, and he's praying for now over us, is that there would be that kind of oneness, that we would model that new creation to this old rotting and decaying creation. But something that is that alone is beautiful and huge and something we really take us there now. What do I have to do? Um, But it gets even deeper. It could be easily overlooked. If you look again at 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. Whoa. Who's the us? The Father and Jesus. Jesus talking to the Father. Let them be in us. This is Trinity language. Jesus is praying that his people would become part of the Trinity. Hence our title, Living in Unity, is Living in the Trinity. Now, consider the Trinity is many, but one. We have three persons who have different functions, but are of the same substance, of the same essence. They're all equally God, but they're not the same of towards one another. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go into this long spiel on the Trinity. This is just the short encouragement. But we, we're aware of the Trinity and the complexity of it that boggles our minds. But the Trinity is the model for relationship, not only between us, the many trying to be one, but between us and God. 
problem is that we are creatures who don't have a center of gravity. We're falling apart, as we can see nationally, church as well. We're falling apart corporately, but I'm going to suggest we're falling apart corporately because we're all falling apart individually. The corporate church falls apart because the individual soul is disintegrating. We have in the church a very soulless Christianity. A society as a whole. But we are very much strangers and foreigners to the depths of our own souls. So much to the point that nobody has a good definition of the soul. And it's probably proper because it is so incredibly immense and deep. It's an eternal thing. But this, this one thing needs to be realized. That humans are not creatures who simply have a soul. Humans are the soul. That's what makes us human. Is that there's an immaterial part of us that goes beyond just the skin and bones and blood and flesh. But we are disintegrating because the body and the soul are out of sync. They are not in alignment in our culture. We have a society that puts body first. And if we even ever talk about the inner and immaterial part of us, it gets just a little, oh, it might be there. Even in the church sometimes. We put so much emphasis on the body. On, on, you even think of our prayers so often. We pray body prayers. We pray for people's healing. We pray for finances. We pray for things you can see and touch all the time. I'm not rebuking that. That's fine. And Jesus prayed. He taught us to pray for bread. That's fine. Body prayers are good. But we never do soul prayers. Or we rarely do. We never pray much for what's going on in the inside. And the reason for this perhaps may be, well, maybe not in the church, but at least in society, that the spirit of God has not come into the soul of man. You follow me? The, the, the spirit is, is dead within humanity until God breathes his life into us and fills us with his Holy Spirit. Then the soul, this great abyss, this great vacuum that has been yearning and hungering for things, it becomes filled with the life of God, the Zoe life of God. And then it is able to give fulfillment to the body so the body can behave and produce the fruits of the spirit. But when we put body first, the body is going to act. It's the bios life, right? It's a biological thing, my body. And it's going to act impulsively and instinctively. And it's going to want a ton of food or a ton of sex or a ton, whatever animals do. That's the biological existence. And if we leave a, a, a body-led life, then what we're going to do is we're going to fill our empty soul with whatever our bios life can grab. And that's what we have a ton of in our society. So the church responds with, okay, we have a bunch of sinners out there. So let's teach their bodies to behave. Let's put a lot of rules on them. Let's tell them what they can't do and make sure they're super hyper holy so that they don't behave like sinners. Instead of filling the soul with something so satisfying, it brings the body into control. We are a body-led society and sadly even a Christianity so that the soul is yearning for things here, but the body says, heck, I'm going to go over here. Catch up if you can. This is a disintegrated. It's not together. It's not integrated. Disintegrated. It's, it's, it's dissolving. It's falling apart. And I am suggesting that the church is disintegrating and it has its divisions and it's not one because we are unable to put body and soul together as one. 
We have, as, Saul, uh, as Paul so properly put it, we war against the flesh and the spirit. Well, Jesus is inviting us into the Trinity. He's praying, God, make them one and let them be one with us. We, too, are a triune being. I mean, there's been debate about this, but I think it's really silly. We're bodies and souls. We're both. We're material. We're immaterial. And some people say that's it. The spirit is synonymous with soul. I don't think so, though. I think the soul is empty on its own until there's spirit in it, at least a a resurrected spirit of God, so that we become triune beings, become body, soul, spirit. And the core, the center of gravity for us is the spirit of God. And when the spirit of God enters into a human being, the soul is fulfilled and the body is controlled, right? But here's where Jesus' invitation becomes so powerful. He says, let them join us. Let them be part of the Trinity. But notice who's not being mentioned here. Father, Jesus praying, Father, let them be part of our Trinity. Who's left out? I'm not saying we're replacing the Holy Spirit. That's going to be crazy. You should all leave. <laughs> but, but you can put that graphic up now. Um, but so on the right side, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And humanity is body, soul, and what? Spirit. So that we, being a dual being of a sort of sense, we become a triune being when we receive the Holy Spirit, which is Luke's definition of a Christian in Luke and Acts. When we receive the Holy Spirit, it's God's Spirit part of the Trinity. So we're right there attached to the third part of the Trinity. We're part of it. And this whole, as C.S. Lewis calls it, the divine dance is encircling and it's orbiting. And we are, we're, we're brought into the gravitational orb and pole of God's love and constant outpouring and outflow of relationship to himself. That's what the Trinity is doing all the time. The Father and the Spirit are loving the Son, and the Son and the Spirit are loving the Father, and the Father and the Son are loving the Spirit. And that's how they're three, and they're one, and there's this whole thing going, and then we're drawn into this. And Jesus the whole time has been preaching this in the Gospel of John. He's been saying, I've come to bring Zoe life. I've come to give you that life so you can enter into this relationship with God. And he even goes so far to say in John, 6 it is the spirit who gives zoe so that you know you have the holy spirit when the zoe life comes to you or properly the other way around you know you have the zoe life of god when the holy spirit comes into you and resurrects the deadness within And listen, listen, this is where it gets so good. When the Zoe life, when the spirit of God is at the center and that's our center of gravity and all of our life orbits around him, we're actually orbiting around the Trinity. We're part of it. Everything is synced. Everything is integrated. Everything works because the spirit gives us the love and the the beatitudes of God and the fruits of God. And it works into our soul, which then drives our body. So we're no longer body driven beings, but we're spirit driven beings. That is what he's praying would happen to us. However, I think we divide against ourselves because we're disintegrated within. But if that integration comes, then we could perhaps find unity with ourselves. And I say that because so much of the division I hear is never a soul critique. It's never that the soul of that church is horrible. It's always something to do with the physical or the body. 
Think about all the things you've heard about churches and what? I'm just throwing out a number. 99% of the time, it refers to the body. We say things about each other. We name names. We backbite. And listen, let's not pretend it's not happening. It is. I have a friend who, uh, gosh, has only, hasn't even been up here more than like six months. And he says, for such a small community, the churches really don't get along. And he said that in context to the fact that he was in a conversation which someone was telling him about another church that was bad. And he mentioned actually two of them in that conversation. I was like, whoa, dude, you got to get away from people like that. We cannot talk trash about each other. And often it's just something bodily, right? It's, oh, the worship is, they sing Bethel songs. More often than not, that's what it is. But I know there are genuine instances when we should not fellowship with certain people. But up here, and most of what I'm hearing has nothing to do with that. The problem is not the churches are fighting. The problem is that we don't know how to integrate body, soul, and spirit. So how do we do that? Do you know what I love about John 17? Jesus nowhere is giving us instruction on prayer. He's not even to like pray these things for yourself. Nope. Actually, starting in chapter 13, we're at the table with the disciples, right? John, our author's bringing us there. We're sitting with them. We're seeing everything. We can hear the water being poured into the basin. And we can hear Peter's protests and the blush of embarrassment as Jesus comes to wash his feet. Like, we're in the moment, right? John's being a good storyteller here. And then Jesus is explaining things. And the reader's like, this is confusing. And then the disciples start asking questions for us. Like, yeah, good question. And then Jesus makes us feel like, oh, we should have known that already. And, you know, it's like you, you feel the vibe of what's going on we're at the table and the reader should be there we should realize we're there with jesus and the disciples at the table but the whole time it's sort of frustrating because the disciples keep interrupting jesus like let the man speak he is the word made flesh come on shut up but they keep interrupting him with questions and you know like what is going on and then finally john 17 they are silent and jesus alone is speaking And he's not just speaking, he's praying. And you can be here at the table of the disciples and realize for the first time, possibly in three years, they didn't interrupt Jesus. They couldn't interrupt him. Something's happening that they had to hear and partake. Jesus praying for us? We have to realize this is happening in this room right now. Jesus is praying for you and me. He's praying for us. But we so often are like the disciples in the prior chapters and we don't ever hear it because we keep asking questions or we keep complaining or we keep accusing. We don't hear it. And I think John's inviting us to sit at the table with Jesus tonight and just shut your mouth. Let the heart be quiet before him and let the stillness speak. It's not, don't ever think, oh, I'm going to try that. That sounds really good. And you just sit there like nothing happened. (laughs) It takes a long time to tune your ear to silence, just like it takes a while to adjust the eyes to darkness. It takes time. You have to practice that being at that table and just stop talking. 
So often we come to prayer like it's this thing where it's my work to motivate God to do his work. So like, because I prayed, now God, it's your turn to do what I asked. That's interesting. So we're the initiators and we're asking God to participate in what we initiated. Okay. That's actually pagan, by the way. It was the pagans that would go to their temple and say, we want crops. We want fertility in our land. So what do we do? We ask our God to get involved by showing our gods what we want them to do. That's where temple prostitution started. If we have lots of sex, the God will wake up and say, oh, you want fertility in your land. Okay. Why do we pray like that? It's God who is the initiator. He's the one who's working. And prayer is that moment when we say, I want to participate with you, Father. I want to work because you're working. That's what prayer is meant to do. It's not a pagan practice. Come and do this. It's saying, wow, there you are, Father. I want to join you. And at this table where Jesus is the one praying for us, for the first time we're resigned in prayer to say, whoa, maybe for a moment, maybe every now and then I should stop saying stuff in my prayers and start letting Jesus say stuff to me or even over me as he's praying to the Father. We, in this time, in this day and age, need more than ever to hear Jesus praying for us. And we need to let our prayers become times when we hear what he's praying for us and get familiar with that voice. Because when we hear it, we will finally say, ah, I'm a complete being. I have integration with soul, spirit, and body. I don't need to run around trying to fulfill myself. The Zoe life is pouring out like living water. As Jesus said, 22, shockingly, The glory that you, Father, have given me, I have given to them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That 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 praise, that beauty we talked about. That God gave Jesus, Jesus is putting in us. I suddenly need to do nothing. Wow. I can live a, quote, loser life to the world standards, but I have the praise and beauty and admonition and validation and attaboy, pat on the back from God himself. I am enough. I am integrated. I don't need to fight myself. I don't need to fight with others. Which is half the problem in churches anyways. We hate the other churches because we have this fear that we're missing out, that they're the better church. And that they need to realize that we've got it right and they're kind of not quite there. You know, we need to stop using our churches like it's our own little insecure bubble where we're like, I finally feel good about myself as long as we're the best church. Who cares? God is giving you his glory. It doesn't matter if you're in the worst church on the mountain or the smallest church. You have his glory and you have been integrated to be part of the triune being. Brothers and sisters, we are more than enough in him. And we can live listening to Jesus praying for us. And so let us not feel this burden and this pressure to have to make stuff happen. But we can be one finally when we stop looking around suspiciously and we all hear the same prayer Jesus is saying for all of us. You realize that? That stinking Christian over there. Do you realize what band he listens to? Well, wait a minute. Did you know Jesus is praying for him like he's praying for you? Oh, man, I can lighten up a little bit. If we live in the Trinity, then we will find unity. 
But if we're going to reject this purpose of God and not listen to his praying for us, then we will live in disunity. Disunity. 